two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast. And folks, we are going on an adventure tonight, a time machine of sorts, an international time machine that will take us to several countries and continents spanning over 40 years. Wow. My guest tonight is someone who I've known uh, since the early 70s, I believe, mid-70s, um, and he lives a rich and very interesting life. He's done a lot of things, and we're going to get uh, into all of his adventures and exploits over the past few decades. And, you know, we just might learn something along the way, kind of like an after-school special. You never know. There might I be a, so. a lesson there. Uh, and, and the best part is he's actually live in studio. So without any further ado, please give a warm no-outlet welcome to Guy Cheney. so much for for reaching out i should mention that out of the blue i got this facebook message actually a couple months ago and it was from ethan jewel and i was like the last time i saw ethan jewel we were playing dungeons and dragons yeah in uh, in, in the early 80s probably 1982 1983 and i'm like that this has got to be a scam this has got to be a scam there's no way this is actually ethan jewel i haven't talked to him in in, in 30 years it's and, been a while and then uh we kind of exchanged back and forth and i was like is this legit is this not and i, I should have you know reached out but i didn't and then i get a text saying hey man i'm doing a podcast and i was like no kidding i looked up the podcast i i listened to a few shows and um and ethan very kindly said yeah let's do this thing and so and here we are to be here in the studio. It's a beautiful place. Dig it. Dig Zagalaga. it. Galaga. We are going to play. A, first of all, thank you for that little pre-introduction. I love that. Uh, aptly put and all accurate. Uh, we're going to play a game called 20 Questions. Okay. And the game always starts in the exact same place, and that's question number one. Okay, question number one. While Pitbull calls himself Mr. Worldwide, I think <laughs> you may give him a run for his money. Uh, if you could, please share with our listening audience uh, all the many places that you've lived uh, on this tremendous planet of ours. Okay. Now, first of all, I can't, definitely can't give uh, uh, Pitbull a run for his money. Our bank accounts uh, don't even compare. I, I, I think maybe in the area of hair, I might be doing a little better okay, than him, okay. but that is it, man. Uh, where have I been? Uh, well, let's go back to Rye because that's where we connected. I was living in Rye. I was a seventh grader. It was uh, 1983, and my parents had decided, hey, we're going to go to Japan. We're going to go to Tokyo, Japan. And I was like, I only knew, basically, New Hampshire and Connecticut. That was it. And really, my understanding of New Hampshire was Ryan Portsmouth. Right. Um, You know, jumping ahead, when I came to Durham, when I came back, I'm like, I don't ever remember coming to Durham or through Newmarket in all the years that I lived here. So pretty small world. Right. And but a beautiful world. I lived in the woods, you know, on Allison Road for any of the listeners who might know or have grown up in Rye, New Hampshire. And for a kid, you could, you know, there's miles, miles of woods. Is that Talton Woods? Is that was that Talton Woods? It was Talton Woods. They were all (laughs) those are homes built by Joe Tucker. And um, and my dad had bought, I think, for the land and the house, it was like 40 grand. It was like 78 on Allison Road. So it's Price has gone up a little bit, as we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. What happened to Rye? Uh, what happened to the world, I guess we could say. That's and then, right. But I had this beautiful life running around the woods, and that was the thing I loved most about Rye was just complete freedom. Yeah. I mean, my parents, they're only 20 years older than me. So, yep. And my parents are were definitely free-range parents, even for the time. Yeah. So I could just go. 
when I was older in sixth grade, seventh grade, my last years here, I had a little uh, Honda 50 Mini. I remember. I, about that. I drove that thing all over Rye, on the roads, to the Rye wreck, and never <laughs> once did any person say, hey, you don't have a license. Right. You're too young. You're a child. You should not be on the roads. People just went with it because yeah. it wasn't that loud. And I was thinking, that would not fly today. I don't think Hampshire. so. I'm sure. I think some people Although, would. I think at first when I said, yeah. said that, but now, you know those scooters, those electric scooters? Yes, yes. And the e-bikes? Those guys, they, they go kind of fast, too. They probably so. went as fast as my as my mini bike did. But it, So I was in this you know world of exploration. Yep. And my parents said, hey, we're going to Japan. And, of course, you know People told them, no, your kids are the wrong age, that I was too old. But I think at, it was, at that age, it was right. I was ready to go. We, I remember arriving in Tokyo. It was, it was murderously humid in mm. July, kind of like it is here now in July. But, um, and I had a similar experience there in the sense that I was in this big city. It was totally safe. Mm. So I could go by myself, again, back to my parents being free-range parents, by myself on a train downtown and you know it's 45 minutes to get to the center of tokyo and just Mm -hmm. go to the english bookstores uh kinakunya look around the Cebu department store walk around eat noodles look at the parks and just explore so it was uh wow in one way it was complete obviously completely different i was thrown into another world uh but it still had that element of of being able to explore and how long were you there for I was there eighth grade all through my high school years. Wow. And I was in kind of a little bit of an English-speaking and, and American bubble. Sure. I mean, not that I didn't get out and, and interact with Japanese. I did, but I went to uh, a small private school. It's Christian Academy Japan. I graduated with a, a group of 33, wow. 30 or 33 uh, people in Did you class. learn Japanese? I learned Japanese, especially the writing, but not... You know, I've forgotten sure. almost all. Sure. And uh, and because I was in this English bubble, I did not learn it as well as I as I could have. Right. And uh, but it that was a beautiful experience. And and really, when it was time to leave Japan, uh, my parents were still going to stay there. I didn't know where to go. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't really even think to come back to New Hampshire. I don't know why. I you know didn't really have. You know, at that point, I wasn't really connected to Rye or to New Hampshire. And at the right. time, I had a girlfriend that was going to school in the Midwest. And so I was like, all right, I'll go to the school in the Midwest. And I went to a small college, Hope College, in um, Holland, Michigan. Okay. And uh, and then I was there for four years. And actually, that was sort of the next step. I was in uh, uh, Michigan. I went to school there. I left uh, to California for, to try California for like nine months. Didn't like it. Yep. Came yep. back. And I uh, became a teacher. Yeah. And uh, that was what I had studied and uh, started teaching uh, at first middle school and uh, and then high school in the public schools mm-hmm. in Jenison. Uh, but that, yeah, the experience in Japan, well, I guess, you know, I didn't choose that uh, to leave. You know, I just had to go. It was, it was my parents said, hey, right. uh, we're doing this. Uh, but I was all right with it. And I never really, uh, I never regretted it. But your international adventures didn't stop there because then you decided to teach someplace right. else. Yeah, you know, I went, um, I was in Michigan. Uh, we had bought a house. Uh, our daughters were born there. Mm-hmm. But my wife, I had met her on a trip. I went, uh, it was like a 30, it was 1998. I went on spring break with a few buddies of mine mm-hmm. to a little town called Pied de la Cuesta, which is just up the coast from Acapulco. Oh, very cool. And we were staying in this tiny little bungalow. Uh, you know, there's like maybe six rooms. I don't know. And there was right between the 
the rooms were some hammocks and a little place to grill and, and, a, and, a, and a little deck where you can look out at the ocean. Very simple. Yeah. And uh, Natalia uh, was there with her mom, Yuta, and her dog, Saskia, and some friends of hers. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was there for the same week that we were, although she was leaving on Thursday. And we were actually heading to Acapulco. We thought, well, we'll do, you know, four days in the the outpost, and then we'll go see the, the quote-unquote big city for sure. a couple of days. And so we got to know each other. You know, we had a little, I guess, a little uh, romance there uh on the beach, so to speak. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then a funny thing happened. And then, yeah. you know, she drove back to Mexico city with her dog and her mom and her friends. And I went with my buddies to Acapulco, uh, to, you know, have fun and get in trouble and try not to get arrested. And, and then I went home and I was sitting in a coffee shop in uh, grand Rapids, a few mm-hmm. blocks from where I was like, I'm going to write her a letter. This is 1998. This right. Like, for me, it was right before email. Yeah. Right? And so I wrote her a letter. And a crazy thing, and a few weeks later, I got a letter for, from her, but she hadn't seen my letter yet. They crossed. That's cool. So, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was cool. So we both wrote these letters, <clears> and then <throat> she was like, you should come out. We should do this big trip to Oaxaca, it's where you go from the city to Oaxaca, up the coast through Acapulco. It's like a big circle. Wow. And I was like, you know, I was a teacher, so I had the time off. And I was I was bartending at the time in the summers, but they were pretty flexible with yep, me. Yep, yep. And I was like, all right, we're going to do it. So I went down there and um, and had that amazing trip. You know, we went through the city of Oaxaca. We went to some of the smaller beaches like Masunte, San Agustinillo, for anybody that knows uh, that knows Mexico, which are uh, the more known beaches in that area. They're kind of between uh, Puerto Escondido and Huatulco. So if you know those two, uh, in between those are, are some smaller beaches that have grown Um but no high rises, right, and right. just smaller stuff. So we we went there, we had that trip, and then we started thinking, you know, it's hard to not live in your own country. It's also hard. We'll get into later to live in your own country once you've left. There's, That's true. There's that there's that tension. But she kind of wanted to go back to Mexico City, <clears throat> and uh, I was ready for an adventure. I'd been teaching. I was just about ready to. Um, Finish my tenth year of of teaching, so wow. I'll at least be vested uh, yep. in the in the system, the public school system. And then an event happened, a sad event. Her father came to visit, and we had an amazing time. We hung out in Grand Rapids. They went to Chicago. My wife ran a uh, half marathon that she'd been training for to raise money. And uh, then he went home, and uh, a few days later, he went into a coma. Oh my goodness! And uh, and he died. Now he was older. He he was eighty, but we did. He was still working. He was still teaching. He was a yep. teacher at the uh, the public university, the UNAM in, yep. in Mexico City. And so we obviously went right away. We were there, and during the time we'd been talking about, hey, why don't we see if we can make it work here? Right. So I looked at the American School Foundation, which is the uh, one of the one of the international schools in the city. They had an English opening. You know, I applied for it. I looked at the pay. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a lot less than what I'm making now. <laughs> uh, the insurance is pretty <clears throat> terrible, but I was like, well, it's it's Mexico. It's cheaper in Mexico, and and why not? Right. You know why not? So. Uh, we did it. We sold the house. Uh, it was a good time. It was kind of before the big bust. Uh, right. So we sold our house and uh, and we moved to Mexico. And uh, and and Mexico was was fantastic. It was um, it was an adventure, kind of both personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. My my daughters grew up during that time. Wow. Uh, my wife and I separated. We never divorced, but we were separated for 
a good portion of the time in Mexico, about seven oh, years. Interesting. Yeah, okay. we lived separately. It happened pretty quickly after getting there. I was, I don't want to go too much in the weeds on that, but yep. it's just, it was a rough time. And, uh, but you know, we worked it out and we were a couple miles apart and we worked together with the girls and all of that. And I met a lot of interesting people. If you ever, you know, if you're ever uh, kind of tired and uh, of what you're doing and you, and you enjoy people and you like to teach, I would strongly recommend international teaching. Interesting. Because uh, what a lot of international teachers, they come for two years and then they leave. But I stayed, you know, because Natalia was there, her family was there. So I stayed. Uh, I did eight years teaching. Then I got into administration. Um, I didn't, to be quite honest, like that as much. And mm-hmm. I was starting to get a little, not really burned out. Uh, maybe just a little bored and, and, and just wanted something different. And I also kind of had a longing to to come back to the U.S. Yeah. I wanted to kind of get some things squared away you know, financially. Uh, my parents, although they're young, my dad's 73. They're only you know 20 years younger, older than me. Right. My mom's 72. I wanted to come back. And my dad, perchance, had uh, started a retirement job. He's like... I'm going to fertilize lawns, spray lawns. He had done that early in his career. Yeah. You know, he'd retired. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. You remember that. You did sure that do. rye back in the yep. day, treating all the, the chinch bugs and stuff. And he had a landscaping business and it just grew, yeah. you know, and, and suddenly he needed help and it grew kind of beyond his ability to, to control it and to manage it. So, you know, one day we were up in North Conway. I was back in the summer. We'd always come back in the summer sure. visiting. I think I tricked my girls a little bit. They came back to New Hampshire every year in July for like two to three weeks growing up. Right. And then when I decided, I talked to my dad. He said, yeah, we got a place for you. We can make it work. What's well, winter? Um, <laughs> so I sat down with, with the girls and I'm like, hey, let's go to New Hampshire. I said, it'll be an adventure. It'll be hard. Uh, and everyone, shockingly, everyone was in. Yeah. Both of my daughters and my wife and, uh, of course, everyone wants an adventure, but the reality of an adventure is, is sometimes a little more difficult. That's right. And we got here, and, and New Hampshire's absolutely amazingly beautiful, but if you're coming from Mexico City, um, it's pretty quiet. Oh, yeah. It's pretty quiet. It's like, try to get in a coffee after 3 p.m. <laughs> where? Where? I mean... Newmarket, here where we are, has one of the best coffee shops. Nori, I don't know if you've ever been to Oh, my God, Cafe. I love that place. Nori's incredible, but yeah. they're hours, man. He's open like three days a week. For like two hours a day. <laughs> close to three. He's like the coffee Nazi. He's like even, he's only there for yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And even to get a beer like Deciduous, another Newmarket place that I love uh, is Deciduous Brewing. And uh, their hours are pretty tough, too. If it's 10 yeah. o'clock, you're not going there to get a beer. And So it's, um, for me, I like to run in the woods. Um and and I love the White Mountains. That's probably my favorite thing about New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. But it has been uh, it's it's a challenge for people that are not from here. And 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 it really isn't so much the winter. I mean, I don't mind the winter. I do not like the short days. I don't yep. mind the cold. Um, short days are a killer. Yep. But it's been tough socially for uh, for my wife. Um, you know, my daughters are almost out. Oriana right now is in Germany. Mm-hmm. She's working there as an au pair. My youngest daughter is going to graduate early. Uh, she's going to graduate from Oyster River. She'll be done. She oh, has awesome. the credits to graduate in January. And and she's looking. She was going to go study in New York. She's thinking about being an au pair as well and maybe yep. going to France. But so, we, you know, we've had this um, being here and just trying to adapt um, to New Hampshire. And then COVID threw a big giant wrench and everything. So yeah. as difficult as it is to move, um, 
that that just made it more challenging. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, totally for sure. So, but and that's you know kind of what we're working on now. And the big next change will be when when both daughters are out. Uh, and the dream is this: you know, my job now is really I need to be there from the end of March till the beginning of December. Okay. And so once we get that squared away, and, and if the girls are off doing their thing, we can go to Mexico for. I probably couldn't swing four months, but I might be able to swing three. Yeah, yeah. Maybe down the road four. Um, and uh, and so have a little bit of both. That's kind of my dream, to have both, because I love things. I love the White Mountains. I love the, you know, the easy drive. And there's, life is a little bit easier. But you easier. clearly love Mexico, too. Yeah, but, Mex- yeah, but Mexico <clears throat> City is, is, is fantastic. Yep. So much culture, so much activity. You get there, it's Wednesday night, it's midnight, and you're exhausted from the flight. But you're like, I got to go out. And there's people on the street. They're sitting on the street. They're eating tacos, and they're, they're having coffee. They're drinking beer. Things are happening. Oh, wow. And so you, you miss that. Yep. So I'd, I'd love to be able to – the dream is to manage both, you know, yep, yep. in my life. I dig that. So obviously, uh, Mexican food in America is nothing like actual Mexican food, right? What's there? Is there a specific dish that you used to love getting in Mexico that you just cannot get here, even if you went to like the most authentic? Yeah, Mexican you know, restaurant? it's it's funny. The, the, probably the dish I miss the most is simply like tacos al pastor, which are the most basic tacos you see them on a spit, like mm-hmm. the same thing we put. Uh, like the kebabs on and that sort of thing <laughs> yep. at a, at a Euro place. And that's kind of your inexpensive taco there. Mexico city is famous for them. They're everywhere on the street. They're out there from all out. Some of the places don't even open till like 11 and they're open till five in the morning. Sure. That I miss. And I've found that even in Los Angeles, um, you know, I went to a place that claimed to get the guy who brought uh, this guy from Mexico City who brought tacos up a store to um, to Los Angeles. I know that guy. He, he was on a Netflix uh, cooking contest, Final okay. Table. Yeah, they did a whole thing on him, and he he was the the first. I think he was like the original taco food truck or okay. something like that. Way I think if it's the same yeah, guy. Yeah, I think it's now it's King Taco. He's got like a few different places. Maybe. Yep. But even then, I like these are good, but it's not the same. You right. just can't get. It's not that it's just you don't get the same. Um, ingredients sure you, know, you don't get the same cut of meat in in here in new hampshire it's even more difficult like occasionally my wife will drive into boston and yep. go, to, go to a mexican store and have you guys gone um, to la vida yes that's that's the best i i think of uh, i agree of the mexican uh, restaurants yep. the mexican food that you can get what i've found is that don't try to get the real authentic stuff because it's hard to make it authentic so i think the people who are doing it best are like Let's kind of take tacos and let's put an American spin. Sure. For example, you know, this little brewery in Dover, Garrison City Beer Works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do tacos and they're very, you know, they're their own sort of American, um, Mexican influenced tacos, but they're fantastic. Nice. Um, and so I, I definitely recommend those. I even go here again here in New Market. We go to Oak House. They do a Tuesday taco night. Oh, I love the Oak House. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they do. They do a nice chipotle pork, and again, it's an Americanized taco, but it's uh, they're not trying to be authentic, and I think sometimes that's the the best way to yeah to go if you can't get everything totally. So shifting gears sure. a little bit. So uh, not only are you uh, bilingual, I know you uh, you must speak a little bit of Spanish still, sure. right? Right. Uh, but you've also uh, something that our listening audience might not realize yet. Uh, you've competed in a sport that I consider. 
one of the most impressive physical endeavors that a human can put themselves through. Uh, and that is an ultra marathon. Oh, I thought you were going to say uh, uh, Rye Soccer League. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with playing with, on with the Mr. Sanborn being the yes. coach, yeah, uh, throwing his Rolex on the ground. Um, <laughs> no, this this is about a real sport. Um, not that soccer is not. I love soccer, huge fan. But yeah. the, but ultra marathon is a different type of investment. Um, and for those of you who don't know, and I, if I get this wrong, guy, correct me. For but sure. an ultra marathon is you know, anywhere from 50 miles and up right up to 100 miles in some cases, and maybe maybe there's even more. But Yeah, now they're even doing 200s. 100 used to be kind of the standard. Like, okay. And now the 200 and the 250, and there, there's longer stuff 250, well. good yeah, Christ. Yeah. Okay, so tell me, what... How did you? How did you get from riding around on a mini bike in Rye <laughs> to running ultra marathons? It's a great question because I hated running uh, basically all my life. Okay. I, when I went to Japan, you know, 1983, left Rye, went to Japan. I went to a small school, so athletics were open to anybody. Really, you yeah. didn't have to be great. And I said, "Oh, I'll go run cross country," you know. And I was I was pretty terrible. I finished last in some of those races, and uh, and I hated it. And I immediately went wow. to tennis. I switched to tennis, yep. and uh, and I love tennis, and uh, and played tennis uh, throughout my my high school years, and never liked running. My story after that until like late late thirties was I don't like to run unless mm-hmm. I got a good reason to run. Wow. And then I saw I mentioned that earlier. My wife did that uh, half marathon in Detroit. Uh, when her father came to visit, and I saw that, and I saw the people there, and I was like, "This is cool, man!" Because she kind of just she had never run before either. She just except for track in eighth sure. grade. So I was like, "I want to do this." And at the time, Grand Rapids had this twenty-five k. It was a road race. Yeah, it was a big one, one of the biggest twenty-five k road races in the U.S. So I I trained for that, did the training, ran it. You know, not no, I'm not fast by it by any means. I am a an average runner. But uh, I just really enjoyed it. And then when I went to, and then uh, the next year, I went to Mexico City. And in Mexico City, because it's such a big city, there's a 10K just about every weekend. Yep. There's basically a race every weekend on on the road. So I started running 10Ks and, and getting into that. And then somehow, and I don't even know how, I think it might have just been one of those weird internet things yeah. where <laughs> it was the time where there was the book about the uh, Taramara runners who ran um, – you know, just uh, without eating much, and they ran in the canyons, and they wore these little huaraches and yeah. sandals. So um, that book was out, Born to Run, Born to Run. That was out. So there were some, there was um, some things in in the world, on the internet, in in media about mm-hmm. ultra marathon. And I read about a race, Leadville. You know, across the sky, hundred miles, and I was like. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah. And, uh, but I was kind of intrigued by it because I liked being out in the woods sure. for long days. You know, as a kid and ride, go get lost in the woods and then finally see a stone wall that looked familiar and find my right. way home. Totally. So there was that connection. And um, so I started running, and there is a trail race series uh, in Mexico. Now there's a bunch of them, but at the time, um, the original one is Solo para Salvajes, okay. uh, only for savages. And it's run by Pedro Fletes. And and this guy, he'd been doing this since the uh, early 80s. Wow. And he had brought down, like, Matt Carpenter. If there's anyone out there that knows uh, uh, mountain running, you know who Matt Carpenter is. And and uh, uh, Ricardo uh, Mejia, still still racing there. These are guys who've, who are, have been the, the best in the world um, in, in running. So I started running trail races. And at first, they weren't ultras. It was just trail races. Solo para salvajes, they have ultras now. But originally, it was like 
you know, uh, 13-mile trail races, 20-mile mm-hmm. trail races, mainly up and down, you know, in a volcano at, you know, 15,000, wow. 16,000, 17,000 feet, you know, running up, Holy hiking smokes. up. Holy yeah. And going down into the into the base of the canyon and then uh, Nevada de Toluca and then uh, going back down the hill. So I got into that and I was like, and of course, at that time, the 100-mile race was sort of the, the ultimate goal. And in Mexico, there wasn't a good 100-mile race organized at the time. I really wanted a race that was point-to-point. I didn't want yep. to do back-and-forth, back-and-forth, back-and-forth. Right, right. I'm not interested in that. Yep. I want to do point-to-point or a big loop. Uh, and there is a race in uh, Southern California called the uh, AC Angeles Crest 100. And I had a little bit of an in there in the sense to train a little bit because my sister and my brother-in-law basically live at the, they live at the base of those yep. mountains, the San Gabriel Mountains. And the race finishes um, two miles from their house wow. in Altadena. And so, of course, to get into that race, you got to have a 50-mile. You kind of have to build up to it. You have to have a 50-mile finish, and then you have to apply and hope you get in and – you know, uh, ultra marathons have, have gone through this thing where the, anybody used to be able to sign up and now you have to get on sure. a waiting list or enter a lottery. But I got in just in time and uh, I went out there with my brother-in-law. He had, he's a kind of a fast marathoner, much faster than I am. But I'm like, dude, you got to get into trail racing. Look out your front window. Look at it's right mountains. there. And one of our, yeah, right there. And one of our first long trail runs, uh, is the last 26 miles of the AC hundred wow. race. We did that. And and finished at his house. So I went, I ran that, um, I finished, you know, it was like just under 31 hours. So, Damn, you know, finish, not, not, it's not competitive. That's not fast. <clears throat> the fastest people are finishing. Okay. Wait, hold on. Like we, under, we, we, under we 20 gotta, hours. We got to take a time out. Yeah. That's competitive <laughs> because if you can actually do it, yeah. then you're better than 98 it's fun, it's work. You got to put in the time. <clears throat> yeah. But what I don't want people to think is, and maybe people know this now is, I would say anyone who wants to, if you have the desire, um, basically if you're in, in decent health, you know, you can go out and do the training. It might take a year to build up to, but you can run right. 100 miles. You can finish 100 miles. You just got to be stubborn. You yeah. got to eat. You know, it's a lot of hiking uh, for, yeah. for for me, for example. it's You're generally, you're, you're hiking up the hills and you're, you're jogging down. Okay. Trying to run the flats. Gotcha. Uh, that's, Interesting. That's kind of the. That's the strategy. So the yeah. for your your back of the pack, you know, um, strategy, mid pack strategy. That's that's how you get yep. it done. And for me, I've always liked hiking, but never quite felt like I did enough of it. Like backpacking, I've done a few backpacking trips. I love them. Yeah. And so that was a way to go somewhere, travel somewhere, and just see a place. So I did Angeles Crest, and, and part of that was because, you know, it was, it was convenient. It was a good excuse also to see my sister and see mm-hmm. my family. And then I went out to um, uh, the Bighorn Mountains and mm-hmm. did the Bighorn 100. This is all around 214, 215. And then uh, I did Angeles Crest again. And then I tried to do a third one. I went uh, to uh, Idaho to do a hundred tough hundred miler out there. And, uh, just it, as it often happens in those races, didn't make it. Yep, I, I yep. timed out. I just had a bad patch in there. Went too slow, timed out at the goats. There's this one aid station. It's so remote that they bring goats to, uh, and you can't really drop there, but I got there after the time limit. So I hung out with the goats, pet the goats. They were very kind to me. And then I had to hike 15 miles out, you know, to like my, or whatever it was to mile 80. And then I could get a ride back. And 
So I got unfinished business there. You know, I'm definitely not in in 100-mile shape at all. Uh, But I did for the first time in years. I kind of got out of running a little bit when I moved to New Hampshire. In my final year in Mexico, moving to New Hampshire, COVID, big life changes. Mm -hmm. I just kind of wasn't running as much as as I was. And I got back into it, and uh, there's a great trail run down in Massachusetts, the Wapak. Sure. Trail did not do the walk back and back. I did the twenty one point five point to point twenty one point five miles, mm-hmm. and uh, beautiful, a lot of fun. And then I did another shorter one, a twenty five k up on Mount Shakura. Yeah, that's the absolutely. Right it sure and, uh, is. Yep. You know, we went up and down and up and down, and wow. um, and so I I've had a few good uh, long runs out in the White Mountains, and, and looking forward to more. That's awesome. Yeah. So my uh, my daughter and her boyfriend are training for a triathlon. Awesome. Uh, nothing like a uh, an ultra marathon, but it's it's a triathlon, mm-hmm. and I, and we got a good friend. Um, shout out to Coach Liza Duddy. She just ran a fifty miler. Oh no! Kidding. What fifty miler do you? Have? Um, the one that it was like two weekends ago. It was I want to say it was in Maryland. Okay. Uh, oh, the JFK was it a mix like a road race and uh, and trails. So a she bit does that one too. That we okay. were like part of it is on like a gravel road. Yeah, I, I think so. I haven't run it, but it's a very it was like one of the first 50 mile races yes. in the country. So it's, she did that one, but this is another one that she just ran yeah. and she won. Oh wow. Yeah. All right. So uh, which 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 she was surprised at and what she is was the name again? Oh my goodness. Out? I might have to phone a friend here and ask all right, because all right, all right, all right. and I, I, and I can um because uh it, we were so impressed by it. I'm just going to do a quick uh, I'm gonna do a quick shout out, um, and we're gonna see if we can't get a live, um, a live answer to this very important All question. Right. <laughs> um, and, and hopefully, I don't catch my my friend at a place where she doesn't want me to call her. But yeah. we're gonna find out. Let's give it a shot. Let's give it a yeah, shot. Yeah. So Maryland, fifty miles. I, I think yeah. it was Maryland. There's I'm, so many races now. It used to be there were just what six. Hi. Hi, you are live on the air right now. I'm speaking with my friend Guy Cheney, and um, I was just telling him that uh, our friend Liza ran and yes. ran. Okay, but which race was it? The 50 miler that she won. It was called the Beast of Burden, I the think. Beast of Burden. Oh yeah, I've heard of. It. I haven't run it, but it's in uh, um, tough race. in Lockport, New York. Okay, New York. I was wrong. I said it was All right, Maryland. New York. All right. All right. Yeah. 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 yeah Lockport, New York. Crazy. You he just freaking won. You just saved the podcast. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so glad. I want you to know that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your help. All right, so I got to I got to get down. Oh, anytime. And, and, I'm uh, always here. Okay. Run, bye baby. Burden. All right, bye honey. Love you. Uh, oh, very shout cool. out to Nicole. Big help there. Yeah, yeah so Beast of yeah, Burden. Beast of Burden. Um, so you were talking about you have to eat a lot. So that's one thing that Liza's really big on when she was training was like the constant eating. Yeah. Do you eat when you're on the run too? You yeah, have to, you, right? You have to. You yep. really need to be, you can get some calories from liquids. Um, you know, some people use goo, some people use sandwiches. Uh, but whatever you do, you can't finish uh, a hundred miler or without even a 50 miler without that. And that's one of the keys. One of the things that normally ends a race that can end a race mm-hmm. is uh, your stomach. Yeah. Your stomach goes sour and you can't put anything down and you start vomiting. That's a problem. You just run out of fuel no <clears throat> yeah. matter how how um no matter how much you got in the tank if yeah, you can't no your stomach's how not working how well you shut trained, it down. Yeah, you you got to keep rolling, you got to keep eating. So what what was your or is your favorite brand of shoe to train and race in? Um yeah, I I I've tried so many shoes and uh I think the shoe that I use now I is the Hoka Challenger, but I'm having trouble 
uh, getting Hoka Challengers. Now I've been using the Hoka Speed Goat, which is a little too much shoe for me. H-O-K-A? H-O-K-A, but I've tried Ultra, I've tried Solomon, I've used Nike. I, I really think my theory about shoes, people ask about it, is it doesn't matter. Interesting. The only thing that matters is it comfortable and do you can you go for a long time and not get blisters? If that's the case, it's gold. And that's how I feel about Hoka's. My my issue with Hoka's is they fall apart. Yep. But I don't get blisters. <clears throat> yep. And they don't hurt my feet. That's a good trade off. So they work. It's you know, so yeah, they, they peel you can see here these things. Is that a Hoka they, that you've got on? Yeah, these okay. are old ones. They, they they start to peel and that usually happens pretty early. Yeah. But you know, I can still go in these and they feel okay. I've gone in some shoes with not enough and yeah. So they work for me. You, you got to stay out of pain. Yeah, so stay out of pain. I'm going to test your, uh, your 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 mental recall here. Uh-oh. Um, and, <laughs> and you can answer either with, well, you know what, we'll, we'll do it a different way. So who was your favorite Rye Elementary School teacher? Rye Elementary School teacher, favorite. I, I think it's got to be in retrospect, uh, in a sort, and it's just kind of funny because I always thought he was kind of a crazy guy, uh, Mr. Marsh. Uh, the gym teacher. And here's why I want to say Mr. Marsh. One time. Shout out to Mr. Marsh. Yeah, I was I was there. Mr. Marsh wasn't up there yet. And I was sitting on the bleachers and I thought I was trying to get a laugh, you know, trying to get some attention. So I took a, a, a whistle and I put it in my nose and I blew it. And of course, that was right when Mr. Marsh walked in. Yep. And I remember he kind of gave me choices. Like, you can buy a new whistle or you can take it home and you can boil it and clean it. Interesting. And, uh, so I opted to take it home and boil it and clean it. Yeah. And he was all right with that. And yeah. so I, I uh, he ran a tight ship. He sure and, did. And, uh, but, uh, so, yeah, Mr. Marsh. Henry. Another shout out, though, uh, uh, Miss Rojensky. Remember Miss Rojensky? She, uh, she was a sixth grade teacher, wasn't she? She was. I had her in seventh grade. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Junior high. Junior yep. high. Yep. I had yep. her in seventh grade. English? It, uh, yeah, I think English. Yep. And in the back of the class, maybe you, you remember this guy. He's kind of a character. He's a handful for the uh, teachers by the name of Duncan Kadash. I know okay. Duncan. Okay. I know Duncan very well. Well, yes. Duncan was, yeah, he's a character. He's <clears throat> yep. in the back. And she was, you know, you can tell now, now that I've been in teaching, she was trying to isolate this guy, trying to, where can, where's the place that I can pee? I put him in front. It didn't work. I put him in the middle. I'm just going to put him in back. Well, he's in back and he was doing something back there. And finally she yep. stopped and she said, class was quiet she goes Duncan Kadash if you pull one more boner in this and of course she got halfway through that and I don't know if she realized what she said but the rest of the class I actually like remember Ro- hearing that story yeah because re- boner <laughs> exactly I mean. the rest of the class lost it and Miss Rajensky <clears throat> had to update her uh vocabulary uh yeah, there, the best. there at Rye Junior High yeah. So a quick Henry Marsh story. So yeah. Brian Murphy remember Brian Murphy oh, yeah. Brian Murphy yeah. organizes a, a a yearly outing in Portsmouth for all the Rye Junior High guys, all right. you know, whoever can make it. I've gone, I think, twice. And one year, uh, he goes, I got a special guest coming. And in walks Henry Marsh, sits down, has a beer with us. I think he's like, I, I want to say he's 80. He's got to be close to that. Oh, no <clears throat> Came right in and, and uh, still the same and had a beer with us and, and talked about gym class and everything else. It's um, funny because at that age, you have no sense of age. And I was like, how old was Mr. Marsh? Was it beginning of his career, end of a career? Yeah. I, I, I. I don't remember. I don't. Well, so let's do some quick math, right? So a couple of years ago, he was 80. So he must have been, that can't be right. Maybe he was more like 75. So 35 or 40, I guess. Yeah, all right. That makes about sense. Right? That all makes right. sense. So middle of his career, yeah. So uh, very important question. What's your longest streak on Wordle? 
Oh man, my longest streak. I was into it for a while, and then I, to be <clears throat> honest, I, I lost the I lost the dream. I lost the habit. <laughs> My streak was, it's probably like five or seven. Okay. Nothing impressive. Okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I would get bored and yeah. get distracted. Yeah, it's one of those things where when you've got time to kill and, and you're sitting there and you're waiting, like if you're in the, you know, waiting for an appointment or whatever, yeah, yeah. it's the perfect thing, but it's not something that, I mean, I, I'll usually forget to do it for days and then it kills the streak. There was, so. a, there was a period where I was posting them on Facebook. I know, I know that's annoying, but, we, and that, that sort of faded away. There's a that's while the that least <laughs> annoying thing on Facebook, by <laughs> it's the way. Wordle, yeah. You know, <laughs> there's a lot more annoyance on Facebook than I, that. I agree with that. Well. Um, what book are you reading right now? Uh, right now, I am reading this book. I'm about halfway through it. It's called Trust okay. by Hernan Diaz. And, you know, it had a little blurb. I think it's getting a lot of attention now. It was it was nominated. I don't know where it is for the for the Man Booker Prize. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to pick this up. And I went to the Durham Library mm-hmm. and uh, and grabbed a copy. And it seems to me like it's um, it's like four different books within a book. Mm-hmm. And from what I can tell so far by finishing the first two books within there, it seems to be telling the same story, but they've kind of changed the character's name. So something's going on there. Mm-hmm. And I got to the second book. I'm reading this. I'm like, wait a minute. They said, these are all the same details, but I don't know how this is all going to tie together. Sure, sure. It's all kind of about money and the idea how uh, panics and depressions mm-hmm. uh, have happened. So, you know, it refers back to the panic of uh, 1873 and it kind of leads up to uh, the big stock market crash sure. of 1929. And you feel like you're, you're getting a look at the guys who shorted that, who knew it was coming. Uh-huh. And, uh, and of course everyone else who got wiped out. Yeah. It. So. it seems to happen every so often. And yeah, a- absolutely. So it, it'll be, uh, I'll, I'll, next time we chat, I'll have to tell you what, what, uh, what, what happens. happens there. Yeah. Um, I like books like, I mean, I'm, I'm a nonfiction guy primarily. Okay. Um, historical nonfiction is my favorite, but anything that's based in history that tells a story about it, even if it drifts off into some fiction, as long as the, the, the core foundation of it is based in something that really happened. Yeah. I dig it. I think you might like this thing because it is, I mean, it's not a history book, but it it does kind of give you a, a history. This clearly this author has done a lot of research on trading and how you know the trading happened at mm-hmm. that time like one of the phenomenons that he described is when there was so much trading as things led up to the crash the stock the ticker tapes that they had were like two and a half hours behind mm-hmm. so you didn't even really oh, know wow. what, what the number was that you were trading and now they're trading on microseconds so like those micro trades that happen like within a minute uh, and how close you are to the server indicates how much money you can make it's it's nuts what's happened to the to that, yeah. To financial institutions now. Um, okay, so in all your travels, everywhere you've gone, Japan, Mexico, uh, you know, the Midwest, have you ever seen a UFO? Uh, I don't think so. You no. don't think so? Uh, I don't. I'm trying to think. Uh, I once saw a plane that looked like it wasn't moving. Okay. Uh, but that might have been... Uh, that might have been self-induced. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was in college. I was like, that plane is not it moving. It is just stuck it's there. It's just stuck there. It's not moving. <laughs> but no, a UFO, I, I've never seen um, a UFO. I have not. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I, the only reason why I asked that question, I had not seen one until last summer. Oh, no kidding. Not this summer, but last summer. I was in York. Our family rented a small little place, and we were all there on the deck, and it was me and my sister. Yeah, and and thankfully my sister saw it too. And we're looking up, and and there's this triangle, 
you know, three dots that formed a triangle, and you could just tell because it was blacking all the, you couldn't see the stars behind it. Okay. And it was going so slow. And it definitely was not a plane, you could tell. And it was almost like the minute I pointed it out to everybody, I pointed out to my sister, she saw it. And then the minute I pointed out to everybody else, it kind of like faded and evaporated. And it was just like gone. Wow. And I don't think it was necessarily, I think what it was is a like high tech plane that we don't know about yet. I don't think it was, you know, a UFO from another galaxy. I think it was just a, a plane that hasn't been shown to the public that yeah. knows how to cloak itself. That could be, or, yeah. or, or foreign technology. There have been, I was reading something about where uh, guys who fly the mm. super fighter jets were yeah. being followed by something. They're like, it doesn't make sense how that thing is moving. Yeah. It's moving that, that the Tic Tac so video and all those. Yeah. Something, something's out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So you, just like myself, you've been alive in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010s, and the much maligned 20s. Of all those decades, which one is your favorite? You mean personally, like, or, sure, or like personally. For historical? I mean, that's... Not, that, you can take that any way you want to go. You know, yeah. Um, I think, I mean, try to, try to, I always try to focus on right now, but I think that's a bit of cop-out to say now is my favorite decade. Um, but I'm trying to sure. I'm trying to have that attitude. For me, the time that I spent in, uh, in Mexico City, that's uh, kind of fresh in my memory, that was... Uh, so there we're looking at really from 2008 until mm-hmm. 2019, so the 2010s. Sure. Yep. Uh, you know, that was a, a fascinating uh, decade. But I would never trade growing up in the uh, in the 80s. I, I know, hear that. I, you know, it's, it is nice to have the experience of having the pre-technology lifestyle mm-hmm. before. So you kind of know what it is to have a phone and you know, how I, terrible it is. That is so true. And, and I think your, your kids are a little bit younger than mine, but... My kids didn't see technology till I think my daughter was in seventh grade. Okay. Um, when phones started becoming like a real thing. Um, but, and now it's like kids get phones in third grade, right? But, but even that, she, she had some part of her life where there wasn't phones. Now it's like there's, there's nobody that's born in the last 10 years oh. that knows anything other than this little piece of technology here being able to do anything. Um, and it's almost made everything too easy. You know what I mean? I, I almost feel like there's no, like you had to leave, if you called someone, you had to leave a message. You know, you might get a sure. busy signal. Uh, now it's just like people are upset if you don't text back in five minutes. You know what right, I mean? Right, yeah. right. I, I don't mind that. I think the worst thing is just the the appeal like of, of social media. I, mm. I, there's a use for it, especially for young people. It's just so, it's such a, a hole that you can fall into. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And you stop reading, you're just looking at TikTok. And I think, I mean, it, it's, you gotta have self control, but it's easier said than done. <laughs> you sure it's do. E- I have caught myself scrolling through Facebook. I'm like, dude, read a book. <laughs> That's right. Send out some invoices. Do I mean, you know, there's there's things you can do. Work yeah. in the house. Um, totally. Clean your room. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, we are down to our last two all right. questions. All right. Uh, second to last question: What's your favorite sport to watch? You know, this is a new one for me. Uh, it's become. Tennis, okay, which is funny because I never, I, I, I mean, I watched tennis like I saw Boris Becker win his first Wimbledon. That tells you how. I long how ago. good he was. Yes, it was yeah. amazing. And then I stopped watching tennis. I even stopped playing. Sadly, I didn't watch any tennis. And then I kind of got interested in what was going on with uh, in the Australian Open. First, mm-hmm. it was because of the news and the whole thing with uh, Novak to Djokovic. Was he going to be able sure. to play? Was he not? And then I started watching the matches, and I, I kind of got interested at the end of his career. Here he is, the 
the Nadal story. Mm-hmm. And I saw, I woke up in the morning to watch him win uh, against Medvedev in um, in that five-set final, which was bizarre. I mean, he was down by two sets. It was like a, and I was like, I was hooked. Right. And so I was watching a lot. The problem with tennis is there's always tennis on. If you get like the, oh, the tennis yeah. channel, you can watch all the time. So I had to... I had to scale back and, and lose my subscription to that because I was watching a, like, third round and, you know, that's out of Rhode Island. But I love, if I have time, I love to watch tennis. I also like to watch golf. Yeah. I love to watch the final rounds of the majors. Yep. I love to watch those final rounds and, and see those guys come in and just see how they hold together. Yeah, that's awesome. Nerves. We mentioned the Oak House earlier, and the Oak House has, uh, you'll notice – most nights, okay. if you go in there, one of the two TVs is on tennis. Yeah. And I would go in there. I'd usually go in, get some takeout and a drink. And then I, I asked one day, I'm like, why Why do you guys always have tennis on? I asked the same question. And she's like, well, there's this one couple that comes in every yeah, single. <laughs> Did you get the same answer? See, yeah, yeah, but I'm trying to find this couple and I've never seen them. I know. So who I know. knows? I was like praising them. I'm like, you know what? No one has tennis on. You guys no. always have tennis on. It's great. It's the only place I can watch tennis, like at a bar. If I go to Thirsty Moose, can you put this on tennis? Like people are going to hit me if there's a game, exactly. basketball game right. or something. Right, on, right, know? right. Or NASCAR no, no one's or like, whatever. No, you cannot have one TV in the corner. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, yeah, the other thing, Kierkegaard. Is that his name? Nick Kierkegaard? Kyrgios, Kyrgios. Yeah, he's been. I At first, I was kind of enthralled with him, but I quickly tired of him. I like the way he plays. You know, he just, he throws it all out there. He's incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. But I I do think the the rampages, it's, it's a little unsettling at times. It's like, dude, 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 for yourself and for the other people around you. Just don't. It's embarrassing. It, well, it's you embarrassing know? when you start yelling at your family in the stands, which is what he did during Wimbledon. That was, that was rough to watch. Um, but I think... You know, compared to McEnroe. Yeah, and that's the thing. Do we give you McEnroe know? a pass? We're not giving this guy a pass. You know, now we kind of look back on McEnroe and everyone kind of titters about it and it's mm-hmm. funny. And maybe when we look back on Kyrgios, it's good for tennis. He's selling Well, tickets. that's the thing. People know about He's it. interesting. He, he, exactly. He's interesting. And tennis needs something interesting. I find it fascinating, but it's, those, those matches are long. Yeah. So it's a, it's a tough sell. Yeah. And, uh, and it takes a lot of time to watch him, but. I, I've I found it very interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Um, all right, so this one more for the Wayback sure. Machine. Do you remember how many times uh, in first grade you had Mrs. Dow? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I mean, you got an incredible memory. Oh, it's it's a sickness. So yeah, that's uh, great. And I remember Mrs. Dow had this uh, record player, and she had all these records, LPs, like vinyl, okay. and she didn't really. I'm not sure if she, looking back on it now, I'm not sure if it was the greatest use of our time as six year old kids, but <laughs> me, you and Andy Olson just listened to Bill Cosby of all people and the Beatles on a loop. And we would pretty much spend all day just, Hey, we listen to it. Okay. And we went over and put the headset on. We would just start playing Bill Cosby albums. And we knew every single Bill Cosby skit, you know, they're all clean. Yes. Um, unlike yeah. the rest of his life, but yeah, no one, no one knew that then, knew. right? right? right. <clears throat> but uh, I just wanted to see if you re- if you remembered that. You know what's funny? I, I do have an Andy Olson story. I, I want a question. I want to ask you about, um, but um, I don't remember that. It's fantastic because I don't have that memory. It makes me sad. That's a great memory. Yeah, yeah. I do remember uh, Mrs. Dow, and I remember that class. My Andy Olson question is this. Um, there was a final. I was talking about Rye uh, Soccer Leagues. Yep. And uh, originally it was on the T-Men. 
And then my dad became a coach of the Rowdies, and we were like the worst team in the league. Okay. And so I got switched to my dad's team. Sure. And our, our star was Rod Jerebeck. I remember that team. Yeah. And so in the one year <clears throat> that we played, we somehow beat the Strikers, and so we're in the final against the team. Yep. And we had a long game. We tied, so it went to penalties. But penalties were different. You didn't just kick the ball like real penalties. You got to dribble it to give okay. you a chance. Okay. And so we went to penalties. It was really tense. And I remember I got up, I kind of kicked the ball, I had a weak kick, you know, Andy sort of grabbed it and then I sort of kicked it away from him. They called roughing on the goalie, but my goal counted. And then Rod got up and we thought, we've won the game because Rod never missed. I mean, he carried our team. He scored like two or three goals every game. And it went, oh, for this guy. And, uh, and he just took it like a real penalty kick. He went and he booted it. And I was writing about this in my journal actually the other day. I was trying to remember it. And I thought to myself, I'm like, wait a minute. One memory is he just sailed it over the crossbar out into the marsh, you know, that it just, it just, it went away. But the other one was, did Andy get a glove on that? Did Andy get a glove on that and pop it over the top? I'm going to say that Andy Olsen saved that penalty. (laughs) He saved that penalty. And what was interesting is the goalies at that point were in tears. They called the game. They called it a tie. Believe it really? or not, they called the game a tie, and they wow. ended it that way. I remember, and I wish, if I had your memory, I remember as Kristen, she was, uh, at that time, you know, she probably had her growth spurt before all the boys. She was a... Um, Kristen Lodge. Maybe, yeah, tall girl. Yeah, yeah. She was our goalie. She was great, but she was rattled. Andy was rattled. You know, he thought my goal shouldn't have been a goal, and there's probably other things that I don't remember. Yeah. And I remember, and I thought, oh, we should have won it, because Rod always scored. Yeah. We missed that one shot, or... Andy got his hand. The hand of Andy. He got it on there, I think. Yeah. I like the ending where Andy saves it myself. Yeah, all right. We'll so I'm go going with that, with that Let's one. Go I'm with creating that one. a memory. Right. Well, yeah. Guy, I'm really glad we connected. It Absolutely. was nice to have you over here. And, uh, you know, I know you didn't want to be called Mr. Worldwide, but I think after this, I'm I'm sticking with it. You're Mr. Worldwide here. He's he's run ultra marathons, folks. Uh, he's lived in Japan. He's lived in Mexico. He's taught in Mexico. He's taught in the United States. Um, he's helping people get better lawns. The guy's done it all. He's a dad. So um, thank you so much for, for coming in. If you guys could see the studio audience, they're all they're, they're doing the wave for him. Uh, they're cheering for him. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate you indulging in all my uh, time machine questions here. Oh, and it's fantastic. I, 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 I appreciate the time. Looking forward to it, and thank you very much. It's all right, man. Thank you got going here. Thanks, everybody. Take care.